I think one of the best things about Black Equity Podcasts is we get to meet so many different people on different walks of life with different experiences and having the respect to really listen to each other and understand their perspectives. And so today is no different. We have an opportunity to hear from someone new uh, in the world of marketing, in the world of brand partnerships and uh, branding in general. And so Maria Success comes on the podcast today to share her story and tell us about her journey in marketing and helping companies become profitable. So sit back, enjoy, and you may hear a little bit of talk on hip hop too. Welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. Listeners, welcome to another great episode of the Black Equity Podcast. I'm excited about this episode. We're going to have a really great conversation uh, with someone that I have the opportunity to bump into online. Uh, we found a common interest in hip hop, and also we found out that we're both business owners. And so, on the line today, we have Maria Success of BN uh, Success Consultant Firm. Maria, are you there? Um, I'm so glad to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you. Welcome to the Black Equity Podcast. Uh, so people may or may or may not be uh, familiar with you. Tell us a little bit about yourself and your company. Okay, so um, as you said, my name is Maria Success, and I graduated with a degree in marketing communications from Columbia College. And um, at first, I went for a degree in journalism, uh, broadcast journalism, because I wanted to be like on TV, um, doing news stories and things like that. But as I was going through college, I realized that I had much more of like an entrepreneurial type of spirit. So I wanted to do something more in the world of business. And so I tried out a class in the marketing department and liked that a lot better than what I was doing previously. So I changed my major and did marketing. And, you know, in my junior year, right before I graduated, I decided to put what I was learning to use and um, take on some marketing consulting projects for uh, different people that I was networking with at the time. And I decided to launch my own marketing consulting firm. 
I love it. So I I have to ask, what was the major difference between marketing and journalism that caused you to go towards marketing? What was that it factor for you? So, I mean, nowadays with social media and everything like that, it's a lot easier to be a journalist while also being an entrepreneur. But when I was in school, that path wasn't really clear for me. Mm -hmm. And so with journalism, it wasn't as um, creative as I thought it would be. It was more so, you know, stick to the facts and you can't have an opinion about anything. And you know, very much like you have to, you know, start out in newspaper or in a small town somewhere. And that just didn't sound too exciting for me. And I wasn't getting the type of mentorship and guidance at the time in that particular arena. And so I decided, you know, I want more control over my life and I want to be able to um, really be at the forefront of technology and things like that. So uh, I decided to switch over. Uh, in marketing, I felt like, you know, I was getting a deeper knowledge of like, you know, business and consumers and how it all works together and how to actually make money, you know, so that's what interested me. <laughs> it's interesting because my undergraduate degree is in marketing. And um. I, yeah, and I, I actually had considered it was between journalism and marketing. Interesting. Very interesting. And so I never took any journalism classes. Mine was just sitting in the auditorium and kind of deciding, well, which one am I going to do? And so I just went with marketing because it was my favorite class in high school. It was my marketing class. Uh, I've always been big on branding and understanding how to tell uh, the story of a business. I looked at it as, uh, and I could have been wrong, I don't know. But I looked at marketing as a way to tell the story of a business, and I looked at journalism as uh, a way to tell the story of society. And so I said, well, let me just tell stories of businesses. And so uh, that's kind of where um, I I decided to go in that direction. Well, it sounds like you found a way to kind of marry the two now because you have your own podcast and now you're actually telling the stories of businesses. So and society all awesome. at the same time. And society all exactly. There you go. It's so beautiful. <laughs> so I stumbled across um podcasting and I said, you know what, we gotta we gotta really make this thing pop for the culture. And so right. you know, when I talk about culture, well, what am I talking about? I'm talking about, for me, I grew up really paying attention to music, film, the arts, uh, just things like that. What what things in culture really appealed to you growing up? What are things that stood out to you? Favorite movies, favorite things that were going on in the culture that uh, just stood out to you? Um, yeah, I'm very much into music, like hip hop. R&B, um, you know, even some jazz I okay. like to listen to. Uh, I come from a very ethnic background, both from the islands, Caribbean, um, and they immigrated to America when they were young. And so because of that, you know, I was born here in America, in Chicago specifically. Okay. And um, yeah, and so, you know, having those 
roots in my background. You know, I grew up listening to a lot of reggae and calypso beats and those types of sounds. And like, I'm very into, you know, spicy food. Right, right. <laughs> Um, I was able to travel back to their home countries um, to to witness their cultures and how they grew up, which was very much different than what you would see in America. Okay, break um, that down and- for me. How, what was different about Jamaica? What was different about, uh, uh, was it Haiti that you went back to? Yes, so okay. I've been to Haiti a few times and I've been to Jamaica a few times. And I mean, basically, it's different because, you know, in America, we have certain comforts that, you know, we take for granted and we don't really realize that we have these types of comforts. And then you go to another country and yes, they're known for like tourism and the beaches and things like that. But then you get to see like, you know, a different level of poverty, the Mm. poverty in America is like richness compared to the poverty that you would see in another country. So I think like Haiti is like one of the poorest countries in the Western hemisphere. Mm -hmm. Um, And that has a lot to do with, you know, everything that happened since the slave rebellion and uh, the corruption in government and you know, all of that, their economic state has never been able to truly climb itself out of, like, you know, poverty. Hmm. And then Jamaica, you know, is huge in tourism. Um, But, you know, where there's not, like, the tourist resorts and things like that, and you go more inland and in the countryside, uh, you know, people are living, you know, in ways that, you know, their houses are not made of brick. A lot of times, some of them do have like concrete homes, but um, it's just a difference in like the comforts that we experience here in America, like the bathroom situation, like you wouldn't have like necessarily a bathroom in your home all the time, right? Some of them have like outhouses and things like that, that you would have to go use the bathroom. So it's a difference in culture, but definitely there's a richness there and um, having experienced those, um, you know, travel experiences at a very early age really um, ignited like a passion for travel for me. And I really love traveling to different countries and experiencing different cultures and ways of life and meeting different types of people. So, yeah. Okay. So obviously I have to ask, so what has been some of your favorite places to travel so far? Oh, um, okay. So, so far I've been to, I would say over like 10 different countries. Okay. Okay. Um, I would have to say my favorite is South Africa. Hmm. Okay. Why is that? South Africa was a very rewarding experience. Um, the people there are very nice and welcoming. Um, but I, I would experience, you know, the most awesome experience of my life, which was a safari that I was able to go on. Okay. And uh, on this safari, it was very interactive. And there was a point in the safari where, like, we were able to, like, actually pet like play with baby lions and baby tigers and like go in there and like 
pet them and everything. So like, I will never forget that experience. It was super cool. We saw different types of animals, you know, that you would never really see in America and stuff like that. But other than that, the food was great. The people were great. Um, And then there was a very strong similarity between South Africa and America, just in the struggles of like what we experienced with like race and things like that. Like there's a lot of residual things from apartheid and stuff that's still kind of like pervasive. And so being able to connect with Black people on the other side of the globe that have had a shared experience like that was like super eye-opening. You know, when you're telling me about, you know, journalism or marketing, it sounds like in many ways uh, you've been able to morph both of those together too with you being able to travel. And even if you may not be documenting it uh, on a podcast, I don't know, maybe you do. Uh, but even if you're not documenting it anywhere, you're documenting it in your mind, all these different experiences and things that you're going through. And then it helps you shape what you're doing back in the States. Is that correct? Absolutely. And, you know, it's interesting that you say that I really do want to get into more documenting, like not just in my mind, but like putting it out there into the world, because I've experienced so much that I think other people might be interested in hearing about. Mm -hmm. Um, I've heard a lot about, you know, this new wave of like the Ghana president opening up the borders to the diaspora. And I'm very interested in that whole movement. And, you know, since I've been to Africa, I would love for like more black people to find the appeal to travel there themselves. And, um, I think that more black people should travel more because when you open up, you know, when you expand your horizons, like your mind just opens up to more possibilities and then you start to believe that anything is possible, you know? And so I kind of carry that level of thought and ambition into like the work I do, like you said, with like business and things like that. So yeah, I I would love to document it more. <laughs> you, ha- you might have to give me some tips on starting a podcast. Oh, we can do that. Definitely. Have you had a chance to go to Ghana yet? I know they have the year, year of return. Have you had a chance to go or have a chance to talk to anyone? Um, I haven't been to Ghana yet, um, but my parents have. Um, they recently, uh, no, this past year they went to Ethiopia. Okay. So my parents, they travel like way more than I do. Um, because they travel with a group of uh, humanitarian volunteers that bring medical supplies and food and clothing and things like that. And so a lot of the trips that I've been on have been with that group. However, um, I've been so busy lately with like work and um, my clients and things like that, that I've kind of taken a break from some of the travel. But yeah, they've been to Ghana, Botswana. They, when they went to Ghana, they told me about um, this because they've kept intact a lot of the slave um, shipping ports where they used to gather all the slaves 
or not the slaves, but the people in Africa to transport them to the different locations in the diaspora. Um, and so they were able to view some of those chambers and they took some videos and pictures and stuff like that of it. And they said that it was a very emotional experience, you know, very hard for them to kind of see the conditions and the chains and like the chambers that they were holding people in and things like that. So I would love to go. Yeah, definitely. We had an episode uh, with a brother named Bio. He has a uh, company called Innovate for Africa, and he's uh, showing people that it's okay to invest in Africa and startups and different companies out there. And so we've been talking about uh, taking a trip with the network, Black Equity Network, to go to places like Rwanda, Ghana, South Africa. And by the way, when you were in South Africa, were you in Cape Town? Yeah, so I went to Cape Town and Johannesburg. Awesome. Yeah, those are definitely um, places that a lot of people would want to go. Do you have any uh, special connects with some type of travel uh, agency or how does that work? Do do you know the ins Um, and outs of, of, you know, doing this travel game the right way? Well, as far as a travel agency is concerned, Mm -hmm. I don't. Um, What I normally do is, you know, look up, you know, the cheapest tickets I can find. Right, right. (laughs) And then figure out, like, the living situation when I get there. Um, I mean, many times when you're going to these other countries, the cost of living is a lot lower than it would be, like, in the States or in Europe. Right. So, um, So, yeah, as far as like what you were saying with the guy about, you know, investing in businesses and stuff in Africa, like I definitely think that it's a really good decision to do something like that because your money would go a lot further in terms of investment Mm -hmm. um, than it would here. And uh, what we're discovering is on average, uh, many countries in Africa have the the youngest, uh, the average youngest age so it's like 18 17 years old and so we all know the future of this planet is going to be located there anyway and so with mm-hmm. the rise of technology uh it just seems like hey if we really invest uh in different spots and find your sector it's a really great opportunity not to say don't invest here uh i just say invest in both yeah absolutely like i mean like you said Definitely want to invest in both because, you know, the American market is like none other. It's like consumerism on steroids, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, in Africa, it's, you know, an underserved market. Yeah. So if you're taking certain products and certain business ideas, certain technologies over there and introducing it to the people, like they will gravitate towards it and try something new and you know a lot of times you know just in my travels people just knowing that you're from America they're so they're going to gravitate to you they want to learn more about you you know you're going to be instantly popular among them because they look at western culture and you know they put it in a high esteem in a sense right so I mean, I think it's worth it. I think people should just travel more. Um, You know, it definitely wouldn't hurt. Yeah, well, we've been blessed enough on this podcast 
to touch uh, areas of North America, you know, obviously Canada, uh, the UK. We've also uh, have a few listeners in uh, South Africa, uh, Nigeria. So this podcast has been able to be global uh, at the fullest level. And so it's been really exciting uh, so far as we, you know, launch. And like you said, if you are interested in having a podcast and travel or anything like that, uh, that's what the network is for, for us to uh, get these voices to the masses and expose people to new ways of thinking and uh, new ways of operating. Uh, and speaking of which, you operate your own consulting firm. Tell us more about the, the types of companies that you like to consult with, what sector. Just tell me more about that. Sure. So um, we focus on helping startups launch their businesses and awesome. uh, small businesses grow. And when we say startups, we've worked with various different types of startups. However, the types that we really like to focus on are tech startups. So if you have a tech idea or need a app developed or a software, something like that, you know, we have the expertise to bring your idea from concept to fruition in the most profitable way possible. Mm. So can you say that sentence one more time? Something about it just gave me shivers. Ooh, I like it. Say it one more time. So we have the expertise to bring uh, your ideas from concept to fruition in the most profitable way possible. That's what I like to hear. The most profitable ways possible. Okay. (laughs) So let's back up a little bit. Uh So you consult, you mainly like to consult with tech startups and you can help in areas such as app development and you can help people get from concept to fruition am i saying that word right fruition yes and you can help that person or that company uh uh, be be the most profitable as possible am i understanding that correctly absolutely how do you do that How, how have you been able to tap into that uh frequency of being able to understand technology and then not only understand technology, but make sure that I'm going to be profitable in the end. So uh, what we do is before we, you know, begin executing on anything, we do a lot of research, right? And in our research, uh, like depending on the type of technology that it is, it doesn't matter. Um, But we always look at three main areas and that's going to be your industry snapshot so what is going on in the industry how large is your industry what's the demand in your industry um what are the major players in your industry what's going on in your industry what are the trends and then we look at your consumers so like who would your target audience be what are their likes and dislikes, their demographics, their psychographics? What are they trending towards? What are their habits? Um, what types of content do they consume? Then we look at uh, who are your competitors? So who in the space is doing something similar to what you're doing or trying to do? And so we always say like there's 
nothing new really under the sun. Um, you, while you may have a great idea, um, someone else has probably thought of that or something similar to it. So it's a matter of identifying, you know, what are other people doing in the space and how can you differentiate yourself to give your, your business more leverage and, you know, create a niche within the marketplace that you can pretty much capitalize off of. So once we've figured out, you know, the, ma the main points that are going to affect your business, then we can start to formulate, you know, a comprehensive business plan that is going to identify, you know, your unique selling position, um, your revenue streams, and all of the resources you'll need to make this business, you know, run successfully and things like that. And then um, once you have your business plan, if you don't have all of the money up front, you can leverage that business plan to then uh, raise funds and find investors and things like that. And so, uh, you know, once you, you're able to do that, then it's all about developing your product and then marketing it, right? Coming up with those marketing strategies and putting it to action. So that's pretty much what I do. And I take my clients through that process. And, you know, so far I've had happy clients and I've, you know, been able to project manage a lot of developmental projects of like apps and software. So it's been fun. How does that feel to, you know, see something from the very beginning to, you know, technically the end? There's really, you know, no, no end. Uh, hopefully there's no end. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the goal is to technically not be an end. Uh, but there usually is an exit, you know, someone wants to either sell the business or, you know, start another one. But how does that feel to, to walk through that entire process with someone and then see the look on their face when, oh, my goodness, I'm now profitable. I'm now receiving consistent uh, revenue for this idea that I had. It is very rewarding. Um to say the least, like I, it's hard to really explain how it feels, but it just feels really good to know that the hard work that you put in and that, you know, your, the recommendations that you made are actually working and your client is happy because I got to tell you, like the majority of the clients that I've gained over the years have been largely through word of mouth. And yeah, I do networking. I do some marketing um, and advertising here and there, but m the majority of my clients have been through word of mouth because once you make that one client happy, they're going to tell other people who are in their network about you and, you know, the superb customer service that they experience and the great ideas that you put into play and things like that. So that makes me happy because <laughs> that means more money in my pocket, right? So yes. um, yeah, it's it's super rewarding in more ways than one. And, you know, what I'm hearing there is the power of networking, the power of networks. Mm -hmm. and I've, I've seen it firsthand, you know, just the growth of this podcast has all been growing because of networks. You know, one person seeing, you know, one podcast episode and saying, oh, I think I can add additional things to the conversation. Let me jump on. Let me say what I got to say for my niche. And another person jumping on another person. And now here I am talking to you. I've never 
actually talked to someone that has said from concept to the end, hey, let's figure out how to get you to exactly where you need to be and be profitable. Now, let me ask you this. Are you also handling the raising of the funds or is that from an outside entity that I need to go get? Um, so it depends on the needs of the client. Okay. Uh, a current project that we're working on right now, actually, we will be um, doing a lot of the fundraising, helping okay. them with raising the funds and pitching the actual business. Uh, God has blessed for this particular situation to be an equitable partnership that we were able to establish with the client. Don't you just so, love equity? Oh, I'm sorry. It's it's a great it's a great thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but yes, um, so we do have you know a vested interest in well, we have a vested interest in seeing all of our clients succeed. But this one even more so because there is equity there, and so with that we agreed to help with the pitching process and the scouting for investment opportunities and, you know, basically raising those funds. So for those who don't know, I don't know how it's possible to be listening to this podcast. Maybe they just stumbled across it. What, what, in your definition, what is equity? So in my definition, equity equates ownership. So if there's a business, you could own it 100% Mm -hmm. um, or you can share it with partners. And so if, you know, you have another partner and you guys are splitting it 50-50, then you have a 50% equity in the company. And so as those profits and the cash flow comes and let's say profits are at a million dollars, half of that would be mine in, in that scenario. If I, if I have 50% and you have the other 50, then you get the other half. Yep, exactly. Isn't mm-hmm. that a beautiful um, synergy to know that the work that I'm putting in, I'm actually going to receive some type of benefit from? Absolutely. And it creates um, more long-term sustainability, right? Tell me why. Tell me why. Okay, so for instance, um, if, okay, me as a marketing firm, I could just have clients where, um, you know, all I do is do one-off projects for them, right? Oh, okay, you need a logo, there, there's your logo. Oh, you need a branding package, there's your branding package, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but that business is going to live on and they're going to grow, and they're going to always need marketing, right? Mm-hmm. So why not be their marketing department and actually partner with them? And so what I've seen with a lot of other marketing firms is that they do those contracted works and then they have like a really big client. And then as soon as that really big client, you know, decides to shop around and leave their firm and, you know, go with someone else, you know, they're losing a lot of revenue and, you know, they have to do a lot to catch back up. Right. Mm -hmm. So I was looking for a way to kind of like prevent that from happening to where I'm at the mercy of one big client or two big clients or something like that, because at any moment they can decide to walk away. 
But if I become, you know, more of a partner to. Instead of being at the mercy of two different clients or two big clients, you decided Mm -hmm. to do what? So I decided to build like a business model where, and I don't do this for everyone because I I really have to believe in the actual business before I decide to go into partnership. Mm -hmm. But I decided to create, you know, a business model where I'm establishing um, more long-term partnerships so that I can be a part of the growth and success of that business more long term. And, you know, as they grow, we grow and vice versa. And, you know, that business is always going to need marketing in the future. It's not just going to stop with a logo right here or a branding package right there, right? It's going to be, well, who's going to handle their advertising and who's going to, you know, re-strategize their digital marketing and things like that and who's going to manage it for them. So, so that being the case, um, I decided to build a model where if I believe in the business, um, and this usually works better for startups, um, I decided to, you know, create, you know, an equitable partnership package for them to choose from. I love it. I love it. When, when, when we're not on this podcast, I might have to look at this equitable package. Um, because I think you and I are very similar, but different. I think Mm. the things that you would do for a company as far as the marketing and just understanding just the different trends and the industry analysis and all that is what I would, I I don't do that side. Mm. So what I do, so this is, so it's actually a very beautiful conversation for people that are listening. (laughs) What I do on it, on it's the same type of thing. As far as, hey, I want equitable interest. I want to work with you. Uh, but w- what I do is I find, and maybe something similar to you um, that maybe you haven't said yet, I look for strategic partnerships. So my undergraduate degree is in marketing, but my graduate degree is in acquisitions. And so what I focus on is um, as a company, when we're ready to grow, what can we go acquire? What can we go acquire either through direct equity of, a, of another company or a takeover or through relationships? Hmm. And so I'm, I'm looking at uh, long-term. I, I try to jump five, 10 years ahead. Um, sometimes not that far. Sometimes it's only two or three years ahead and see, well, where are we headed? Let me get there first. And then let's see when we're at this place, who are we going to need to get there? For example, if I'm looking at uh, doing a movie deal, if I know that we're going to make a film, one thing I know for, for sure is at the end of that film, we're going to need to distrib- uh, distribute that film everywhere. And so mm-hmm. while y'all go ahead and figure out the script and all that other stuff, let me go find out who I want my distributor to be. And so I go sit down and talk to the uh, distribution channels uh, on day one or whatever, week one. So I know by week 30 or whatever week is the end of the the road here that we are all set. And so that's kind of where I work at. And I think what you do and what I do is a perfect blend for any company 
that is out there. They're going to need to understand uh, truly what's going on with their market analysis, understand their marketing, uh, and every every aspect that you do. And while you're doing that, I got to go run ahead and figure out, well, what is happening five years from now for us to make sure that we have everything we need so there's never any hiccups? Mm. As things shift, as things move, as we... Uh, it's kind of like being on in the, on the ocean and I got to make sure before that wave comes that we've done everything with uh, this boat possible to prepare for that, that storm. Mm. Wow. I think you're onto something for sure. Like definitely what you do is like, it's, like taking it a step further in terms of ensuring the success of the business. You know what I mean? Like what we do is very much so in the weeds of like making sure that the business is structured properly and, you know, being marketed the right way and, you know, interacting with consumers and like, but yours is really about, you know, getting the key components in place to make sure things are moving forward smoothly. So I think you're right. <laughs> it sounds like, you know, they go hand in hand for well, sure. Yeah. I can't do anything if you don't exist and you won't be able to continue doing anything if I don't exist. Right. And so it's a very beautiful uh, connection that we've been able to make with one another because as these companies are, you know, coming to us and wanting to figure out, well, where do we want to go? Well, if you just sit down and talk to DJ and Maria, you probably you probably got most of your answers right here. We're probably at, at least 50% of the team that you're going to need uh, moving forward. Uh, right. You, you handling the, uh, the foundation of everything. And then uh, when we get to level five, uh, me jumping up there and saying, okay, well, this is what you're going to need before you go to level six. And making mm-hmm. sure that that foundation on level five is is sturdy, because as the building gets taller, I mean, you, you grew up in Chicago, right? You're in the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. As buildings get taller, we got to make sure we uh, reinforce certain areas of that building, or it's going to topple over. Yep. <laughs> right. And so you are getting the foundation because I mean, it's going to definitely topple over if we don't have the foundation, right? You know, right. If, if your brand sucks, if your name sucks, if Whatever it is about your company just ain't right. Then we ain't even going to get to floor number four. It's just going to fall apart. And so you're taking care of those key components from the very beginning. And while you're doing that, I'm saying, okay, I know uh, in this particular city that the wind gust is at a certain level. And Uh in this particular city, if you don't have this, whatever that is, then we're not going to be the code. uh, And it's going to jeopardize the lives of everybody in this building. And we just can't have that. So while you do, you know, very key components, let me go to this particular country that has this key thing, key component on level five at the, the cheapest uh, amount. So we don't have to be boggled down with paying an expensive uh, amount for something last minute. Let's go ahead and get it early and export or import that uh, into our system. So we have everything we need to continue building this building. Mm. I love your analogies. Like, that's exactly it. I mean, that's a perfect parallel for sure. I think it's important to know when you're sitting down with someone 
how 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 do you and I complement one another without being competition? Here's the thing: uh-huh. a lot of people would sit down and say, "Wow." two marketing people talking and they're both talking about equity well they must be competition with one another no we're not (laughs) right and the thing is is that and you know one thing that I've learned just in this whole journey of marketing consulting is that I've become a natural partner to a lot of different types of businesses right Mm -hmm. so like I can talk to a business consulting firm who just focuses on like business planning, right? And I can become a natural partner with them because their clients, after that business plan is done, they're going to need marketing and branding and things like that. And then um, I could talk to someone who has a technology consulting firm, right? And whereas we do do tech, you know, development ourselves, but you know, this particular firm, they may focus purely on that. And so if I'm networking with them, it's like, well, their clients, after they develop that website or that app, they're going to need marketing, you know, and then I could talk to someone like you and you take care of like, you know, the structural things of like moving things forward. You know, you're always going to need to rely on the marketing aspect. So Mm -hmm. I think that partnership is definitely the way to go and networking with the right people and knowing how your skills can complement other people's skills because the people that think that they could just do it all themselves and do it all alone they can only go so far right it's exhausting why would you want to build an entire building by yourself exactly like i mean you have to diversify your network so that, you know, like you said, the workload becomes lighter and then you can take on more projects and scale, you know? So absolutely. And, you know, a key to, you know, building a great team is synergy. And then, you know, to continue with the analogy, uh, ceilings always become floors. Ceilings always become floors. So, Mm -hmm. If if you've built this uh, this brand up and it has a nice feeling to it, sooner or later, it doesn't matter when, but sooner or later, there's going to have to be a rebrand. It may be a year from now or it may be 25 years from now, but there's always going to have to be a rebrand because the times will change, the culture will shift, and uh, there, there will be thing, little, little whatnots that you have to kind of shift and move uh, in order for the company to organically grow um, and, and evolve. If you don't evolve, you die. And so, yeah. you know, I, I know how important what you and I are doing with, uh, for these companies, uh, especially in tech, with when we were talking about Africa and uh, the different areas and where we can invest, you know, taking these same skill sets to a place like Africa to a place like Jamaica. And by the way, we have an episode with uh, Blue Mahoo Capital uh, with David Mullings, and he's talking about how uh, actually the stock market of Jamaica is the best in the world, which it is uh, for three or four years straight. The stock market is the best in the world, uh, best performing in the world. And so we have a full episode talking about that. And yeah, as that's happening, you're right. There are still 
uh, infrastructure problems where uh, certain houses don't have bathrooms. Both can Uh be true. And uh-huh. so, um, you know, it, it just it's very important to understand um, all aspects of a situation. Uh, and I think we're learning that here on this episode. Absolutely. And, you know, when it comes to going into these different countries um, and bringing your business there, um, what's happening a lot with business in America is people outsourcing to other countries because it's cheaper, right? Mm -hmm. But what we don't realize is that, you know, a lot of those jobs go to, like, China or, um, like, some of these other countries. But, you know, there are people in Africa and in Haiti and Jamaica who are getting education. You know, my dad, when he came to America... He was so far ahead of the education system that he ended up graduating high school at the age of 16, Yep. you know? So, like, these people in these other countries, like, they're being educated, like, they're very smart and, you know, they're learning at early ages how to do math and science and things like that. And so if there is, like, a way we can figure out, you know, how to you know, bring business there and incorporate the people in those countries to be a part of that growth. Like, you know, like I said, you know, before the dollar would go a lot further, you know, and that's interesting what you said about the stock market in Jamaica. That's, you know, it's hard to like kind of understand that like the stock market is doing so well, but the majority of the inhabitants in the country aren't always doing so well, you know? So how's it any different than America? That's true. That's true. America, you know, I think about, uh, what is my boy's name from ATL? Uh, He had a song with, he had a movie with Rihanna, Donald Glover. I think about Mm -hmm. Donald Glover. He had a song called This is America. And yeah. on, on the song, when when the song first came out, I was thinking to myself, you know, I really like the song. This is really cool. But then I saw the movie he did with Rihanna on Amazon. I can't think of the name right now. But uh, the movie that they did together, he performed that song during the movie and actually made it very clear what the song was really meaning because nobody really knew. It was, you know, it was, it was a trending topic. Everybody was like, well, this, this is America. And so the movie reveals that this is America just means that everywhere is America. Everywhere is the same uh, microcosm of itself, where the rich are trying to get richer and they're trying to keep the poor poor. They have to have a working class so they don't have to necessarily do the day-to-day work. And so there, there's always going to be uh, the have and the have-nots. At least there will always be trying to be the haves and have-nots. And so I learned as I was listening to that song and watching that movie, um, that everywhere is America. So, uh, so what you're and everywhere is Jamaica. Everywhere is China. Uh-huh. Everywhere is everywhere. And of uh-huh. course, there's cultural differences and, and and things like that. But really, when you start understanding systems and how things operate, you start seeing similarities uh, between the two. There are probably places in America where you can't have a bathroom in the house and you have to go to the outhouse. Uh, it may be far, few and far between, but I'm sure that still exists here in America as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you said is like, 
so deep and so key and important. I always like view America as like this matrix, right? Um, I know everyone has like seen the matrix, but basically it's like an illusion Mm. reality, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I mean by that is we live in this country that, you know, the economy is actually stimulated by entrepreneurship, right? And business uh, growth and development. But what they teach you in school and what they prepare you for in the real world is how to work for someone else and not like if you go through school, they're not really teaching you how to own your own business um, or how to be an entrepreneur. Um, And so I think that that is, you know, basically what you said is that like they're reinforcing the want for like a rich class and a working class because you need a working class. You have to. There's no way around it. Exactly. But the fact that they are pushing that onto people way more than they're pushing on any other messages is very interesting to me. And then you have like, you know, if we're living in a democracy, right, and this is going a little bit into politics, I guess, but if we're in a democracy where it's supposed to be the will of the people, why do we only have two political parties to choose from? Right. And it's just like, it's just this weird matrix that I feel like we're all experiencing and it's all, you know, about capitalism and greed and, you know, people trying to secure their power and their place in, you know, the one percent. <laughs> well, like you, like you said, it's all an illusion. Here's here's the real question, and this is going to be something that you, uh, for somebody listening, they're going to go back and, and scratch their head on. Uh, do we really have uh, a choice between two parties? Uh, is it really is it really a choice, or is it uh, really just one one party pretending to be two? Oh. Uh. <laughs> There you go. Or is there I, really no party at all, and we, everything's already predetermined? And you know, uh, you know, we don't want Trump in, so Michael Bloomberg will run because he has more money. But what about his policies? I thought policies mattered. And I'm listening to morning shows, and they're like, "Well, they didn't even mention policies. They're just like, I hope he just runs so he can beat Trump." Nobody said, "What does he stand for? What is it about?" You know, for all we know. You know, everybody could be a, uh, the evil could be with this Michael Bloomberg guy. I'm not saying it is, but it could uh-huh. be. But no policy is being questioned. There's no vetting. It's just get rid of Trump. And to me, that's right. a very dangerous place to be. And I find it interesting that it's so hard to get rid of Trump. It's like, mm-hmm. really? Like, what more do we need? I mean, I don't know. Like, we all know if it was Obama, he would have been out of there. Like, he wouldn't even made it this far. Mm -hmm. So, it's what you just said, like, is it even two parties? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, yeah, I think you're definitely onto something there. Because, I mean, first of all, the whole electoral college situation Mm -hmm. is hacking the election. It's like, why do we even need that? 
you know, and just the way the whole system is set up. I remember watching a video a long time ago uh, that Farrakhan did where he was talking about how, you know, different presidents throughout history have talked about like this secret like power mm-hmm. within organ- like within like the government and they're fearful of this power of, and it's like supposed to be like a group of individuals that basically have so much money and so much influence that they are determining a lot that's going on, you know, in our country. And it's, mm-hmm. it has nothing to do with how we're voting and, you know, what the polls are saying and things like that. So I, <laughs> I mean, I think you're definitely on to something. I, I don't think that that's far-fetched at well, all. Well, let me ask you this before we, we make sure we uh, have our classic hip-hop discussion. Before we do oh, that, yeah. um, have you ever been polled? Um, no. Okay. No, because I, I avoid those. Well, do you avoid <laughs> them? or do, ha, Has someone ever tried to poll you? Yes. Okay. I Tell me about that have, experience. Well, I received a call. Okay. Um, and this was before, like, it was a whole bunch of scam calls coming in, like, every hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so they called me uh, wanting to ask me questions about, like, my feelings on, you know, police and, you know, my local government and things like that. And, you know, I declined to answer. Hmm. Do you know who they was? Um, they were working in some government office. I can't really remember uh what office exactly okay. they were from. So, yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> well, I, I asked that. You're the first person I've ever met that said it had an attempt to be pulled. Most people have never had, you know, attempts or anything doing with polling. So then, when you look at these polls. It's like, wait, hold on a second. Where is this data coming from? You know, uh, you could be just polling 100 people and then you're using that 100 people to determine, you know, whatever, 6.5 billion people, whatever the the number is. I mean... Uh, Yeah, absolutely. That's what's happening. And I'm pretty sure that these so-called polls are a panel of people that have opted in to being polled because that's a large way like when I think about you know my experience with marketing um there are market research companies that have like panels of people that they use to then be a proxy for like the the rest of the population so they could be you know polling or studying or surveying like a group of only like 10,000 people you know and that 10,000 people have the different, you know, demographical percentages that look similar to the rest of the American population. And so they're using that to then say, well, the American people are saying this, but it's like, no, (laughs) everyone doesn't think that way, you know, and your results would be different if you, you know, basically increase your polling numbers like the people in the pool that you're asking you know and so it's flawed and faulty data i mean i I, on our instagram page 
I'm always posting new stories that are coming out. And a lot of times people think, well, you know, are you in support of this story? I'm not in support or not of support. I'm just letting you know the narrative that is being spun. And so there's these, these narratives that says, you know, things like Milwaukee is the worst city for African-Americans. I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what's, you know, through a poll or through whatever they decided, uh, Milwaukee's the worst. And then there's, you know, polls that, you know, now, you know, will African-Americans or will Blacks or, or, or however you want to define us, will they support Biden? It's like, well, who, who are these Black people and why are we asking them? They, why don't you ask me? Because no one's right. asking me, you know. So you're right. Through marketing, through advertising, we actually get to really see the truth. Uh, it's actually scary what you learn uh, when you take marketing and you, you understand advertising. You understand the manipulation of numbers. You understand what's really going on. I, I believe that, you know, going down this path, has been truly a blessing to understand the facade of society. Uh, yeah. You get to see it when you go through through marketing. But understanding the facade allows us to then also break through the matrix and help build companies up to, uh, you know, have ethical ways of operating and raising the necessary capital and, and finding the right target audience. So it's, it's two sides to it, but it's definitely... Um, definitely an interesting field to be in. Absolutely. I mean, I've definitely learned a lot and there's a lot of transferable like skills and just knowledge that you can apply to different aspects of life, like you said. So absolutely. I agree. One of my favorite things to study when it comes to branding and marketing is whenever something comes out that is directly tied to hip-hop it is mm. it, because i get to see oh i i really love it because i get to see who's lying to me right and so <laughs> right. i love it so like recently you know they put out rhythm and flow and as soon as they put out rhythm and flow on netflix a, a competition show with cardi b and chance the rapper and ti you know over on joe budden's podcast he's like hey they, they may have stole that idea from me because they contacted me right, first. I saw that. And so what were, your, <laughs> what were your thoughts when you heard about that? And then let's also get into Rhythm and Flow after. Um, well, when I heard Joe Bunnan saying that, I wasn't surprised at all. Um, but I thought it was interesting why they didn't want to include Joe Bunnan in the process. And maybe it's because... What is your theory? A, I have one. Go ahead. Uh, well, Joe is a little bit cantankerous at times. I have no idea what that word means. You're going to have to help me out. Um, so I hate to say like obnoxious. Okay. Yeah. Because I don't know if that's necessarily the best word to describe, but Mm -hmm. he's a little bit harder to control. Right. Right. He's not really conforming to industry industry. Um, well, he does in some aspects, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he's a little bit more so about, you know, ownership and, you know, establishing that equity and, you know, things like that. Because I remember like back when he was at Complex um, doing Everyday Struggle, that that was like one of the issues that he had with the show is that they weren't allowing him to be, you know, 
all up in the sauce like how he wanted to be exactly Mm -hmm. so I think that that was interesting um but also you know when they called him to ask him questions that was them doing their research you know like they were surveying the market and they know that he is like a voice of hip-hop and so I do think that he maybe should have you know either declined or like you know, found out more about the situation before just giving them all of the information that they were looking for. Um, But yeah, I mean, Netflix was being smart. (laughs) You got to do research before you put anything out there. So you know, you know, how to do it in the most profitable way. Like when I am doing stuff for my clients, we take surveys, you know, we ask different people, hey, what are your thoughts on this? Mm-hmm. You know, and that helps validate the idea. It's always funny when people contact me, not you, but other people in this matrix, they've, they'll contact me and I can tell that they're fishing for information so then they can, you know, go on and do something without me. Um, but here's, right. here's the thing. No matter what you do without me, if it ain't me involved in it, it's still not going to have that same sauce. Not saying that everything in the world needs me, but if you're contacting Joe and you, you trust his opinion, I'm not saying he should be a host, but you would think, well, maybe he could come on and be a producer or come on and, and, and help write the story a little bit. Um, right. Or be a consultant. Something. You know? uh, so yeah. the lesson that we started learning from this is, well, you know, before you consult with anyone, get a consulting fee and know what that fee is going to be when anybody contacts you. You know, there's going to be people that, you know, you can reach out to and share, you know, quote unquote trade secrets with. And then there's going to be people that aren't of your culture or aren't of your industry that in order for you to gain access of information and wisdom, I'm going to have to charge you just in case you go on and do something without me that I have no equitable interest in. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think, I don't know what, you know, Joe Budden's management situation is, um, but I'm surprised that they were just able to call him like directly. I don't know if like they talked to his people and then his people put him in contact with him or something, but usually like someone of his stature should have one or two barriers to get to him so that they can vet you know, what is being presented and then, you know, see if there's any areas of opportunity there, you know? So I don't know. That was interesting. That's a good point. So Joe doesn't end up doing anything with rhythm and flow. So how do you think it turned out? Did it turn out, I guess on a scale of one to 10, 10 being the best it could possibly be, what grade would you give rhythm and flow? And then let's dive a little bit into some of the things you liked and didn't like. Hmm. Uh, I think Rhythm and Flow did turn out well. Um, There were certain things I do feel like they kind of dove a little deeper on or, you know, I feel like the season could have been a little bit longer Mm -hmm. um, with different types of challenges involved. Um, But I think it went well. I think that you know, there were a few instances where people were like that, you know, went further than they should have went yeah. <laughs> in the show. 
Um, but overall, I think the storytelling was was good. I think the authenticity of it was good. So um, as far as the star rating, mm-hmm. I would give it like, you know, a four. A four out of four five? Out of five. Or, okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Four out of five. So that's more that's like a eight out of ten. Uh yeah. Yeah. Okay. It'll it'll get eight out of ten. Okay, cool. Uh so here was one of the issues that I found. I don't remember what episode it was in. It may have been and I it was definitely in the first batch of episodes. So like the first three. Cardi B uh-huh. said something on there that just oh it just got underneath my skin. She was saying something about, I need to know if I can make money with you because that's all the white people really care about is how much money I can make off of you. And I said, well, what the hell? Because I thought... Wait, she said white people? Yeah, well, she said, you know how white people are. Uh, Oh, wow. You you know, you got to be able... You know, they want to make sure that they can get a return on their investment. And, uh, you know, she was saying it tongue-in-cheek and laughing, but I'm thinking to myself, what is going on right now where you said that this person was going to end up being an independent artist at the end, that they would receive this money and they wouldn't have, they would, they wouldn't have to answer to any executives. They would be able to do it their own way. So why would it matter what white people think or people from outside your culture think? I just never hear any other culture saying, well, I want, I hope the black people are going to like this. I, they just, people just do what they do. And then either we like it or we don't, you know, of course right. you do market research and, you know, you, you try to find stuff out, but I've never seen anybody on the competition. So wonder if black people will accept this or not. Well, it's interesting too, because this is, you know, hip hop is of black culture. Mm-hmm. However, it's being, ran and owned by white people you know once again white people are at the gates holding the bags of money and it's this matrix where black people think that they have to go and beg the white man for an opportunity and like for a check you know so I find that to be very disheartening and you know, it just speaks volumes as to the rigged system that we're all living in. And even down to the music that we're consuming, is this music even our choice to consume? Mm. Like y'all have a taste in music, right? Mm-hmm. But do we really? Mm. Or is this what's being pushed onto us? Well, that's why, so, that's why I've been listening. It's funny that you opened up uh saying that you really you know love jazz i've been listening to more jazz and soul uh because i feel like it's outside of the matrix you know right and but to get back to what you're saying though to to go back to what joe budden was you know ranting about uh during that 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 segment he was also saying you know the conspiracy of Charlemagne the god uh, doing interviews and um uh, doing interviews with netflix called the um, the state of the flow and um, Scotty Beam doing an exit interview. And he said, wow, all the people that I know and I've worked with are all assigned to this project. And something that Joe Budden was saying that I do agree with, uh, I don't know if he would have made the show better, but I do agree with this, is imagine if all the people in the culture got together and formed uh, one company and everything flowed through that company instead of it flowing through Netflix, Hulu, 
uh, and all these other outside entities. Imagine how valuable the culture would be if one company, uh, you know, with equitable interests uh, had Noriega, Joe Budden, Charlemagne, all the, the figures of hip hop all underneath one 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 umbrella. That that has to be worth 10, 20 million dollar company off the jump. Um, instead of splitting the bags up in all these different, you know, other areas. Absolutely. Like, Black people have so much more power if we are able to achieve unity, you know? And that's the part that's hard for us. Um, I mean, it's because we've been brainwashed to buy into this whole matrix, right? Like, we seek validation. Like if we come out the gate saying, oh, Netflix gave me this deal, you know, everyone's going to be looking at you like, oh, you made it, mm. you know, or like, you know, there's that, put, it puts a little extra layer of clout on your name or something. And it's because of, you know, the validation that we seek. Um, but I, I've been saying this too, even when it comes to the NFL, Right. Mm -hmm. So you have this sport that can't really thrive or be a thing or be entertaining without black bodies, you know, and black talent. But then it's owned by majority white people. And so then you have, you know, black people who want to kneel during the national anthem being told that they can't do that. They're being restricted. Um, or they're going to lose a check, right? But it's like if every single person in the NFL who played in the NFL all came together and unified and either decided that we're all going to kneel <laughs> or we're not going to play, then like the whole rules would change, right? They would have to succumb. Or if they all got together and said, you know what? Forget the NFL. We're going to form our own league over here i mean the news media and everybody would have to follow the black talent because they are they make up the league you know and so i would say that is for every industry if you, yeah. if you look at hollywood if all black actors actresses writers just stopped for one month two months and just stopped the, the whole thing would shut down the everything, every every industry you can think of, if everybody just stopped, the whole matrix would just fall. They wouldn't know what to do if, if we just said, "Oh, okay, we're going to we're going to do do a stoppage of play, uh, football, uh, entertainment, everything where you're making your your dollars off of us, and until we get equitable interest, we're not we're not playing that game no more." Yeah. But it's going to be very hard for Black people to do that because they want to see checks. And the white man has the checks that they're doling out. And so, you know, people are only looking at momentary gain. You know, they're not looking at the long run. They're not looking at, you know, what's best for the people as a whole. You know, they're looking for personal gain and momentary satisfaction so that's where it's going to be hard for we as black people to really come together and do something on one accord you know 
I think of a Kanye West line. He says, um, they made us love their wealth and hate ourselves. And what happens is they cut the bag, they cut the check, they send the bags out, and we get excited because now we have this artificial thing that we've all been convinced is called money and it's called value. And I find it so funny that now there's this thing called Bitcoin and cryptocurrency uh-huh. out of thin air. And it makes me wonder, well, that's what happened with money. Like the, yeah. the money we grew up on was out of thin air. And I, <laughs> you know, everything has been out of thin air. Everything is make believe, and uh-huh. which is a good thing to know, you know, in marketing, because that means we can elevate a brand to its highest level. And it's also a, a, a bad thing in the sense that certain things get elevated to its highest level and people get convinced that it's the real thing, you know? Yeah. Right now, people are, are, are arguing that Cardi B is better than Nicki Minaj because she won a Grammy. And it's all artificial because we somehow have flip, flipped uh, value and made people believe that a Grammy is validation. But if we really right. look at skill set, we all know Nicki Minaj is a better, you know, overall artist than, than Cardi Absolutely. B. But you know, not to not, and that doesn't mean that it has to be one versus the other. But we just got to tell the truth, you know. Right. And so, as far as talent is concerned, yeah, talent. Now, who's more entertaining right now is Cardi B. Right. You know, if it comes mm-hmm. down to just entertaining, well, right now Cardi B has the spotlight. Um, but for the argument to be, well, she won a Grammy. It's like, come on, man. First, y'all say. Oscar's so white. You say Grammys don't matter. Y'all say Billboard doesn't matter. And then as soon as somebody wins it, that's the thing that y'all use to throw in people's face as your marketing, your branding, as your PR to say, I'm more valuable than the next person. So it's like you can't have it both ways. Right. And it's it's annoying because it's hard, like, even though we know that, yeah, you know, Grammy, you know, they don't really have their true finger on the pulse. But it's like, as soon as someone does get a Grammy, then their checks get bigger, you know, and, you know, their phones start ringing uh, more. And so, yeah, I mean, we don't want to place that much value on it, but the rest of the industry does, (laughs) you know. And so if you're working in that industry, it's like, uh, how can you avoid not striving for a Grammy when you know that? that Grammy is going to open more doors, you know? That's true, but what doors are they opening? And right. who's calling? Right. And what is what is tied to that check? What is tied, what comes with it? Because a lot of times the, the, what people need to pay attention to is uh, the, the hidden uh, agenda that comes along with the check. Mm-hmm. And if if I'm not being offered equitable interest, then what am I really being offered? Right. And so yes, it's a it's a huge check. I think about uh, I believe his name is Jason Weaver. Can't remember if I got it right, but he was uh, a, a, a child actor. And, uh, say that again. Oh no, I didn't say anything. Oh, he was a child actor. And he ended up uh, being on Lion King and singing on Lion King. And uh, he uh, turned down $2 million up front so that he can get royalties on his Lion King check. Mm 
This is the wow. same guy who played Michael Jackson in the Jackson 5 movie. He was also on Smart Guy. He was on ATL. I think it's Jason Weaver. But my point is, you know, sometimes the $2 million is not the answer. Sometimes you take the 50000 and the royalties and just let it play out. And now he says, man, I've surpassed what I would have made from that $2 million just by waiting it out. Because Lion King is a franchise that has been going on for over 30 years now. And so... Yeah. It all depends on where you really see value. It's hard to beat equity. At least it's hard to beat equity when it's uh, equity is tied to something valuable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It kind of reminds like that scenario you just said kind of reminds me of what Beyonce did with Coachella. Break it down for me. Didn't she like take lesser money so that she can like own the rights to create the Netflix like documentary. I don't, um, I don't know if she did that there. That could be true, but I do remember there was a commercial that she was offered and she said, no, I don't want the money. Just pay me an equity. And then that's when she um, put out that song, pay me an equity. I'll reverse out of debt. Right. And so either way, you know, my story being true, your story being true, or they're both being true. Equity matters. It does. Equity truly matters. And, um, you know, the greatest equity, I always say, the greatest equity you can have is uh, friendship. The greatest Mm. equity you can have is in relationships. And so what I'm hoping is through us meeting each other and us talking is that we gain equitable interest in one another off the strength of friendship, off the strength of relationship that we can look out for each other, help each other grow. And not just you and I, but just other people part of our network as we continue to grow in our, our careers. Equitable interest in friendship and relationship can last forever, more than uh, money sometimes. Because when you have somebody that can open those doors for you and they're, they're the right doors that meet your morals, your integrity, and your character, it's amazing how more freeing that is than, you know, trusting the check or the bag from people who are smiling in your face, but you don't even know if they have your best interest in mind. Absolutely. I love what you just said. It is all about, you know, the people that you've been able to cross paths with and build relationships with. You know, remember how I was saying, you know, a majority of the clients that I've gotten have been through word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, you know, that's because I place a lot of value in building positive relationships with my clients. I mean, I have taken on, especially in my early years, some clients who didn't pay me much of anything, (laughs) you know, but that investment of my time into building that relationship with them has had, you know, exponential returns. Um, on investment just by pure them being satisfied despite the fact that they barely paid me anything and then recommending to someone else like she's really good at what she does you should work with her you know and then I've been able to increase my prices since then obviously but it's just we can't always get so blinded and hung up on money that we forget about building those interpersonal relationships. I agree a thousand percent. 
for those who are listening to this podcast episode and they want to work with you, Maria, how do they do it? What is the best way to reach out to you? If they're a tech startup, uh, whoever it may be, if they want to partner with you, work with you long-term, what is the best way to go about it? Okay, so you can visit my website. It's www.beevanboyandasanancysuccess.com. And, uh, you know, send me a message on there or you can reach out to me on Instagram. Um, my page is uh, miss.success underscore secrets. Um, I just had to restart um, my business Instagram page, but you can find my business Instagram page at BN Success. Uh, so yeah, people can find me that way and it. send me a message. Say that again. Or do or you can send me a message via info at bnsuccess.com. Love it. Thank you, Maria, for coming on the Black Equity Podcast. Please know the doors are open for you to come back, talk about culture, talk about business, talk about your travels. Uh, we look forward to continuing this conversation uh, offline, off the podcast, and continue building equitable uh, interest in one another. Thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed this conversation, and for sure, we will definitely continue networking with one another and building those equitable relationships. Thank you, Maria, for coming on the show. I found this conversation to be next level. I look forward to uh, building with you and continuing our conversations. And for those that are listening, reach out. If you think this uh, connection could be a really great connection for you, reach out to Maria. Let her know some of the ideas that you have and that you would love to network with her and ultimately work with her. Uh, Thank you for coming on the show. What a great week of podcasting. All the great episodes. Let me know in the inbox Uh, either through a voice message or you can send me a message on Instagram. Let us know what your favorite episode was this week. Uh, Just curious to see which one or which couple of ones that you really enjoyed. Thank you for listening to the Black Equity Podcast. And you know we're coming back next week with a whole new set of episodes. Thank you for listening to the Black Equity Podcast. I am inviting you to join the exclusive Sip and Share Wine Club, which offers monthly and quarterly memberships available, deliveries of two, four, or six bottles of sweet, dry, or both wines right to your door at a 10% discount. Only 100 monthly members accept it. Begin enjoying all the privileges and benefits that go along with belonging to the club. There is no fee to join. You only pay the cost of your wine plus tax and shipping. Two wines is $38 plus tax and shipping. Four wines is $76 plus tax and shipping. And six wines is $114 plus taxes and shipping. Once again, join the Sip and Share Wine Club. This is your invite. Only 100 monthly members accepted.